This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I had one of the worst experiences of my life trying uh, <laughs> Bikram yoga that's no exaggeration trying Bikram yoga with Killer one time in Castle Troy so um, I remember literally being delirious for the for the, <laughs> for the next hour so all that, all that Killer and me could do was we moved from between lying on our back to lying on our side <laughs> to lying on our front and that was literally it so all these people who were kind of seasoned Bikram, Bikram yoga guys uh, were doing all these ridiculously kind of complicated moves and uh uh, I remember for the first kind of for the first fifteen minutes of that hour, say we'd be kind of lying on our sides, literally looking at each other, genuinely worried. <laughs> going like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna last here. And she'd come over and say, No, 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 that's not it. That's not the move. And I remember us having to look at her and go, No, we can't do that. <laughs> we, we we we'll just stay like this. Hello everyone and welcome to week five of the Duncan and Duncan podcast. I'm your host Duncan Casey, joined as always by the delightful and ever-smiling Duncan Williams. Duncan, how are you? Very good, how are you? Very well, very well. Looking forward to having a chat with our old teammate John Andrus. Very uh, excited by it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be a household name in Irish rugby, but he had a fantastic playing career predominantly in England and... Uh, after finishing up with after a brief stint at Munster and Connacht, it must be said, he has moved, crossed over to the dark side and entered the murky world of being a, a sports agent, a more specifically rugby agent. So I think it's an area that people know very little about. So it should be a good, insightful chat. Yeah, yeah we'll see. We mightn't use it at all if it's, yeah. uh, if it's very bad. <laughs> anyway, you had a busy weekend. You played on Friday and Saturday, which uh, not too many people in their mid 30s, nearing towards their mid 30s, early, are doing. Early 30s. Early to mid. Uh, yeah, played for Cannes on Friday night against UCC, local derby. Yeah, I, I love the Friday night lights games. That's probably yeah. out, of, out of all the IL stuff, that's what I miss the most. Is there a big crowd there? I liked it when I didn't actually have to do a proper day's work beforehand. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a hard slog after doing a proper day's work, but uh, there was actually a big crowd, considering the weather was absolutely horrendous. Was it storm weather? Yeah, I, yeah, I was actually only saying, I don't think I've actually played a game in dry conditions since, I retir- or since uh, the, the final last year. Even in Bermuda, thunderstorms like it was there. Can't catch a break here. But uh, it was fairly shocking, right, chap? Uh, there wind, any, howling wind, rain. They ran you closer than you would have liked. I'm yeah, guessing. yeah. We they they actually got a push over try there in the second half that kind of brought them back within oh, touching God, distance. A, a compact, embarrassed. Um, it was actually we were hard done by the, for the scrum to happen, but they deserved to push or the the penalty try off the scrum. But in the lead up to the scrum, they had a knock on. A guy picked it up from offside, 
we poached it and the ref blew it up because we had an injury and said scrum to UCC we were like how is that possible um, uh, you've gotten the rub of the green from the ref's point of view enough times over the years oh, now yeah, yeah. you can't complain too much yeah sure uh, it was, I think it was it was it was a week or two before I moved back from Dublin to Limerick that was the time Shannon got fined 25 grand for following the ref into the dressing room yeah, and abusing him because was was were was you playing that day yeah. Was a penalty? They gave they you gave a penalty. Pe- yeah, I gave penalty last last kick of the game, and uh, right in front of the post. But it was about eight minutes into injury time. Yeah, right? I don't kick know. Of the game, yeah. but anyway, DC Scott DC stopped to take the kick. It was actually only the penalty was only given about seven meters from the try line. I'd say, but he didn't want to take it out any further because the weather was so shite, and uh, he literally nearly put it under the bar. <laughs> um, but yeah, we won, so their crowd weren't happy and followed. Uh, the ref into the dressing room and there was all sorts of commotion no I remember reading about it and thinking uh, yeah this is the club for me I'll be yeah. perfectly at home here that's it uh, so was there was there a big crowd at it yeah at the UCC game there was yeah um, as I said the weather wasn't exactly uh, conducive to running rugby so it was good to good to see a good crowd there turn up and yeah, the, brave the, the misery the Friday night lights games are kind of the, one of the few sets of games that still attract a consistently good crowd throughout the season yeah. I think or particularly when around about eight, nine years ago when I started playing with Shannon first um, games against Gary Owen or Munsters or, or Bowes when we were all in the same division you'd get about 3,000 people at it which is significant enough I know when you talk to the old timers they'd have you believe that there was 25,000 people yeah, at yeah. <laughs> Temple Hill or Tom Clifford Park or, or wherever every week but I, I don't think it was quite like that so uh, no, it's good to hear that people are still turning out I was at the Shannon Nace game myself on Saturday afternoon, I actually went to my first pre-match meal. Uh, what would, would you do at the pre-match meal? I was I was guest of honor. Uh, on, on, on behalf on behalf of uh, on behalf of our a guest of honor on behalf of the Shannon committee. Oh, uh, so I was at the president's table. I was at the top table, but it's actually great. Like I mean, think about it. It's ten quid to pay in to watch an AIL game. So the pre-match was twenty-five. Your match ticket is included. Uh, a lovely oh, the economist, you yeah. <laughs> lovely bacon and cabbage, uh, apple pie and ice cream afterwards, and a coffee for an extra fifteen quid. It's not bad. I'm, uh, I'm a seasoned uh, user of the various carveries in Limerick City, and you wouldn't get a bacon and cabbage for oh, much less than twelve quid. Always a good man for a recommendation of a, a good valued carvery. <laughs> so I'd recommend it to people if they are if they are turning up to a game of a look at the pre-match. Remember, I know the lads, and I'm sure there's a little bit of exaggeration with it. They would say that back in the boom, say they would have pre-matches in Shannon and Thomond uh, with 150, 200 people mm. at it. I think it's still quite like that in Dublin. From what I hear, places like Lansdowne and that, they'd have, yeah. they'd have multiple tables filled. Yeah, it used to be like that in Connorsville, I remember. When we were under, like, 10s and 12s, we used to do the ball boys for the matches, so you'd be up there after training, you'd just stay up there all Saturday, and the crowds inside having the, the food and stuff, and then you're in selling raffle tickets after the, after the game to try and make a bit of money for the club, and it's just, <laughs> you can barely move inside there, like, I could never get rid of mine, so I'd always give it to Billy Holland, he'd go in and flag everyone's... Uh, Ticket, so it was great. Anyway, my stand-up game, stand-up moment of the game was to see our old colleague Sean McCarthy. Um, was he back? I didn't oh, know he is. He yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean spent a year. Italy. Yeah, he spent a year in Rome um, playing for that the police academy team. Uh, bizarrely enough, so he uh, he spent a year in Rome. He said he loved it, but um, he uh, he had a girlfriend back in Ireland and was kind of keen to move home and, you and get going had a again. Spot for Shani. I do, you know, I get on great with him. He's a great fella. Um, probably. 
a combination of bad your, luck. Your relationship is mainly you just slagging him, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, there's a large enough number of my relationships with people, <laughs> positive relationships with people that are centered around me slagging them. I think Sherry, the same can be said for Sherry. Isn't that how we grew close in the first place? Me just abusing you. Yeah, my hair like I wore you down. got you in the door, didn't it? <laughs> but he made, made a great break. Handed off a 13, I think. Uh, made a line break, handed off another, and then chipped kind of one of those infield kicks that you would, would have seen JPR Williams kind of pulling off yeah. routinely back in the day. And uh, yeah, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been it might have been Pat Ryan, actually, who we were talking about earlier, who uh, had a great campaign with the Irish clubs recently. Picked it up and, uh, and yeah, they finished it off. So I've seen Shawnee set up a number of tries with crossfield yeah, I, kicks. I was about to say, he pulled off one of the... The greatest kicks I've ever seen in my life when uh, we were playing that BNI Cup over in Yorkshire, Carnegie. He was literally on the left touchline, I'd say a yard off the touchline, and he hit it like a banana off the outside of his foot. 50 metres, 50, 60 metres, curled it perfectly, trickled into touch, just kind of shorted our line. It was, it wasn't like he didn't mean to do it, which was, it was just phenomenal. I was standing right behind him, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> you could actually hear me like on the, on the video and everything, like it was a ridiculous kick. Oh yeah, well he played minor football for Kerry, so he has plenty yeah. of ability. Um, I think he does. He, he used to line out the ad time for Coro. I'm not sure yeah. if he still does, but uh, his next one definitely does. Less of three points after. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, uh, down in Cunoffs, I think that's the name of the pub down there. Uh, but anyway, moving on from AIL, uh, tell us about your Saturday. You played in the Legends game. Yeah, so early start. Uh, got picked up by Anthony Horgan and Dennis Fogarty at quarter past six for a half seven flight to London Heathrow. So we, we got there and uh, picked up, brought to the Lensbury Hotel, dropped the bags, went for a bit of breakfast and then um, back to the hotel. So we were getting picked up at two to go to the, the ground we were playing in the stoop. Um, kickoff wasn't half five, so we were, didn't know what we were doing, getting picked up, going to the ground. They were like, there's a big jersey signing. We went in and signed five jerseys. <laughs> we were like, really, they just need us to be here for three and a half hours. But uh, yeah, so, so what's, the, what's the concept of a Legends game like? I know so it, it was to raise money for Tom Smith uh, this year. Obviously, he was diagnosed with bowel cancer or stomach cancer or something along those lines, and he's terminally sick. So it was okay. um, from that point of view, it's great to be involved in, and raise money for that. I think um, you know it was the original one was Axel a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, or not the original, but they did one for him as well. Um, so yeah, it's a great occasion. To be fair, there's. There's a big crowd there as well, good turnout, um, some big names from the, it was meant to be Irish legends against English legends, it was more just English legends against washed up Irish fellas. Um, <laughs> what kind of names are we talking? For England or for Ireland? Well, for both, yeah. Uh, so, pro- well, Gordon Darcy was playing for us actually, Chris Henry, two Scottish lads, Kelly Brown and Ali Hogg. All right, uh, very good. Yeah, two very nice lads actually. Scott Deasy was playing. Oh yeah, yeah so we're a, tr- a true the, Irish legend. Yeah, reeling in the years myself and, and Scotty. So uh, another another trophy to <laughs> to get a photo taken with the two of us. Um, <laughs> no, there was Dara Fanning was there, Stephen Keogh, Shane Byrne. Oh um, yeah, Shane Byrne's kind of pulled out with a back spasm. Was uh, he meant to play? Was he? He was meant to come over anyway, I don't know, if it was just for the social outing or, or what. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many times he's pulled out with a back spasm and uh, yeah, yeah. again for those Apparently things. he walked out, Bob's kicked off and he walked off last year. <laughs> um, and what about the English lads? Yeah, there was a few, they had a few World Cup winners, like to be fair, they had Lewis Moody, Mike Tindall, uh, Ben Cohen, uh, Jason Leonard. I remember, how, how, how is it as a game? Do people take it seriously? Are people there yeah. to kind of predominantly enjoy themselves or...? 
Is I it very much depend it was going to be like Bermuda because I thought going to Bermuda was going to be an absolute jolly but <laughs> the rugby was actually quite hard and then <laughs> I remember was, Flash was, saying a few was hits a, going on in this like was uh, there like Nick Easter got a bit tetchy um, himself and Fogs had a bit of a run in uh, but uh, yeah there was this fella actually he I'd say looked 50 he was looked, do you remember Mickey Rourke that's what he reminded me of oh yeah absolutely yeah. battered and he was killing lads I don't know where he was getting the energy from he was in everything he was nailing lads and tackles poaching bashing fellas everything uh, Rory Jenkins I think was his name uh, he was there two scrum caps and all. <laughs> Why face battered off him? I don't know what what, what the story behind that was, but uh, there's a sign that there's a fella's a mad bastard. It's just, it yeah. to like wearing two scrum gloves when you're playing a game. Yeah, but no, there was, we won anyway, so it was. Uh, I don't know it was, a, it was a good occasion, as I said. It was good to good to get over there and be involved in something that helps raise money for for things like that. So it was, it was a good crack. Who who was kind of in good nick? Who looked like they could still have been playing professionally, and who was who yeah. had kind of let themselves not let themselves go physically, but just looked looked a bit old and haggard. Um, who was in good nick? No, from our side, uh, Kelly Brown. He's still in good nick. So he only he only finished yeah, two years ago, eighteen months, I think he said. Ah, yeah, yeah. So. Gordon Nersey looked relatively in good nick. <laughs> Oh, the Pilates. Yeah. Pilates three times a day. It's <laughs> a Driscoll, no? Uh, no, it's, it's Gordon Arcee's wife, and, and well, he and his wife have the Pilates studio. Oh, do they? In Dublin, yeah. Yeah. I always wondered, there must be a massive golf in, like, say a guy like Kelly Rowan or Dylan Armitage or yourself who literally just stopped playing versus, say, if golf had played, like, when the when yeah. the golf stopped playing. Liam Tolan was playing, like, he would probably be, or Paddy Johns is playing, actually. Was he? Well, he must be nearly 60. Yeah, t- a tough guy, all the same. I'm yeah, sure he was yeah, well able yeah, to hold yeah. his own. I remember Flad telling a story about the first time he played in one of them. And he said he was kind of going out thinking... Ah, oh, you know, I'm sure Flad was taking it handy, right? This is what he said anyway. But he said he was on the ground. Or sorry, Martin Johnson was on the ground. And he kind of went down to give him a hand to pull him up. And he slapped it away. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he just saw Red and was just running around trying to kill people for the rest of the game, basically. But no, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't be in the right condition to play a Legends game now. But uh, it sounds like a school crack. I'm sure you Tom May for England, he, was in, he seems to be in good nick. Uh, Lewis Moody looks pretty fit. Yeah, Nick Easter's still pretty much the same shape as he was when he was playing. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's deemed to be good or bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously a good engine on him. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, I assume you had a decent feed of points afterwards as well. Yeah, so I was into the club, I was for food and points after and then uh, stayed there for a couple of hours and then back to some pub around the corner from there. It's not a bad little circuit to be on, you seem to have kind of wormed your way into it. Yeah. The, oh, Tony Buckley was pay- playing with the Shannon Thirds for years just specifically to stay fit for the for Bermuda, Bermuda trip. Yeah. He still he still tags out the ad time, uh, which I think is a bit unfair. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone that's playing thirds rugby uh, on a casual basis uh, to, 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 to be lining out against Mushy no uh, it's a good uh, I said it's good things to be involved in I suppose kind of get to meet a few lads as well that you mightn't see for months or years on it, uh, without seeing them so it's good to, to get that opportunity to get together and have a few points like I suppose I haven't seen Scott DC for a good while now I played against our lads down earlier in the season he was coaching we had a bit of a chat like but to get to have a few drinks with him is you don't really get that opportunity very often so it's uh, it's good to meet up with those kind of lads that you, you wouldn't see see too often anymore of course and everyone being in the in a similar enough boat as well yeah uh, yeah like no one's taking themselves too seriously like I played Chris Henry was there I played schoolboys with him and probably haven't really seen him met him once or twice after matches like just chatting after games but to sit down and have a proper chat with him after all these years is 
you know, it's, it's, it's quite, quite enjoyable. Hello. We've got another week to, to get back on the horse, you know, and take that horse to the water. And you can ask that horse, you can say, hey, horsey, do you want, do you want to have a drink or do you want to swim? Yeah, and it's up to that horse to then realise what he wants to do in his life. And that horse at the moment wants to go out on Saturday. He wants to clippity-clop all the way to the stoop. He wants to say hello to those fans. The next is something that's in the news at the moment. We kind of alluded to it last week when we were talking about Barry White from the Business Post writing about uh, like investment from CVC who are a private equity group who have been kind of buying up substantial shares of various competitions in the last few years kind of with with a view to reshaping um, rugby kind of away from its current its current segregation in terms of hemispheres and making it one global calendar and yeah. one global international league and and uh, one global club league and they were kind of how is the, the does that global club league go whoever wins their pro 14 and whatever goes into this thing or is it just going to be one global league that's it like I don't know to be honest. It's very loose because it's not materializing yet. But I'm sure they have a plan yeah. in their heads. But like, I mean, it wouldn't mean be encouraging because how many teams in a, how many teams are going to be then in the league? Like, oh yeah, well, exactly. But this is it. But like, say for example, I, I think it's it's gonna their version of what it was going to be at international level yeah. was going to be the nations championship. The thing that has basically had to be had to be abandoned yeah. because there was such uproar about it. So um, I mean, I'm just reading an article here um, from the Financial Times by Murad Ahmed, who's kind of one of their sports journalists, and um, like they like they've invested 300 million pounds um, to acquire 14 percent in the Six Nations, 120 million pounds in the Pro 14, and that would take their overall investment in various competitions to 600 million pounds uh, over the last two years. Um, they won 27 percent of Premiership rugby, for example. So it's very much moving towards that that global mm. brand with kind of global television rights and that kind of thing. So they're obviously doing doing it because they believe that there's money to be made in it, but um, it raises a lot of concerns. I mean, my my biggest kind of concern would be that invariably a lot of teams are going to be excluded who aren't at the top level and who can't compete in that global league. And I don't know if it's an accurate thing, but I remember like League of Ireland, for example, before the time of television being ready accessible for a lot of people, like there would genuinely be 15, 20, 25,000 yeah. people at games down at Flower Lodge, as it was known at the time, to see Cork Hughes, Cork Athletic, whatever. There was massive interest in the game. And then when people could readily watch Premiership, that completely de- depleted. And I mean, attendances are, are quite stagnant in the League sure, of Ireland. And it's a massive the, concern. With the AL, if you look at it, there was, I remember I was at a Munster Senior Cup final between. Sunday's well in your Munster in Musgrave Park it, might have, it must have been 92 or 3 or something there was like 9,500 people at it but like now there's so many matches on TV that people are happy just to stay at home watching TV as opposed to the, well obviously the weather isn't great as well which doesn't help so no, you're dead right though bigger names aren't playing but I went to watch Con and Munsters in uh, Musgrave Park I'd say it was two or three years two years ago I'd say maybe three with my dad and I remember we, we parked in an estate nearby and I remember getting out getting out of the car going did we have the time wrong because there was no noise coming from the <laughs> yeah, stadium yeah. at all we went in and there was about I'd say there's about 800 people at it which uh, I mean like you you would have thought that something like a Monster Senior Cup would have retained an element of the yeah. an element of the appeal but, but even when we were at that game at the weekend the Legends game actually Kyo Stephen Kyo who is 
the biggest Shannon head that ever existed claims he never lost a game against Khan. It's his go-to story whenever a rugby <laughs> comes up. But anyway, he was like saying that the, he remembered there used to be marquees on the side pitch in Khan, like choppers landing and people getting out and everything. And like, Is that right, Yeah, Jeff? thousands of people at it. Like, so, <laughs> like to look at it compared to from now to then, it's, it's a bit mad, like. Yeah, it is. But I mean, that's I can see that being replicated. I mean, if you look at attendances in the Pro 14 as is, I think it was like, I, I think the expansion to 14 from 12 um, has kind of diluted the appeal of it already. Mm-hmm. The split into conferences, I don't think is good either. I mean, attendances are very poor, kind of on a consistent right. basis around it. Certain teams are better than others. Certain fixtures are better than others, obviously. But I mean, a lot of teams are, are going to be forgotten if it moves away from the current format. I mean, like obviously everyone wants to see the best teams in the world going at each other but I just don't know how practical it is I mean uh, the inclusion of South African teams with the exception of maybe a cool trip for the players were you on one of those trips? I was last year yeah Um, it was only uh, it wasn't a two week or it was only the one week uh, played the Cheetah so we were in Johannesburg for most of the week and then up to Bloemfontein to play the match um, oh, did they? They didn't double up the fixtures then, did they? No, see, so you only played in. Oh, right, because they're in the other conference. Yeah, I see. So one year it's two, it's two weeks, next year it's one week. So um, I got injured the previous year for the two week one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get injured. I just uh, wasn't going to figure. Thankfully, I was gone to Grenoble at that stage yeah. anyway. But I remember uh, myself, Mike Sherry, and Des with a three lad stuck at home. Having to train. Oh, well, you were injured, but yeah. the lads had to train with the academy. Oh yeah, I was training with the academy as well because oh, I was yeah. just back from uh, the facial injury I got. But I think they were kind of alluded to that they might uh, be flown out for the second week, so if they'd come in from training to be refreshing the emails <laughs> every two weeks. They could beat the Daz every time. Uh, Did you get the email, Daz? <laughs> Daz would check his phone right, and get it out. Of what so, a cruel, a cruel yeah. carrot to be dangling in front of us with probably no intention of ever bringing them. Out no, at all. that was it. Like it was hilarious. No, I was glad I was gone at that stage because obviously I was still I was still in the Munster players group um, and like they'd be putting in selfies yeah. of when they were about to drive down and train with all the 19-year-olds. I was thinking, God, I don't know if I could have handled that. I'd say I would have done a hamstring that week or something. Yeah, and then the other lads over in South Africa in the WhatsApp group were like, uh, lads are going out for dinner there and a glass of wine. Like, oh, yeah, like a 400 gram steak yeah, yeah, and yeah. some local wine. But yeah, other than that, like I, I don't really see um, it ha- like I don't think it's had a hugely positive impact on the league. I mean, it's it's split it. It's made it more complicated in general, yeah. from the point of view of conferences. And like, has it really been much of a boon for attendances and and interest? I don't think so. Um, but are they saying is this what's driving? They're buying into the Six Nations, and this is what's driving the. I think rumor of South Africa coming up is it? Yeah, I think I think um, well, South Africa are refusing to comment on that, but which is always uh, <laughs> Razzy refusing to comment about. I'm going back. Uh, are you moving back to South Africa? No, no, no comment. But they're obviously they're spreading their wealth into or they're spreading their wealth into enough pots to hopefully have enough control over the global game. Yeah. And uh, I mean, like I was listening yesterday to talk about there being like a, a single global golf league going forward yeah, and yeah, there's yeah, a lot right, of Saudi Arabian money behind that and um, uh, like you can see the appeal of it in one, in one sense in that you want to see the best players or, or best of any, any the best teams best individuals in any sport going at each other on a regular basis but you inevitably will ruin all the culture and tradition that other competi- like, competitions yeah. have you know so um, didn't McElroy come out and say he's not he's definitely not going to take part in it yeah that's right yeah um, and I think yeah I think I think Tiger Woods said the same because yeah. like it'd just be very demanding so there'd be a minimum there'd be a minimum number of uh, tournaments you have to turn up to but they'd be kind of all over the world if you yeah. get me so 
Uh, I know there's certain players that flow between the two at the moment, but it would kind of eliminate that. Um, what changes do you think there could kind of feasibly be to make the game a bit more global at the moment? Something like Japan or South Africa coming into the Six Nations? Yeah, I don't know. Would Japan go to the training or the rugby championship or the Six Nations if they were to go to one? What would be the? I think they need to be in something, something, something. Mm. Anyway, obviously they they showed in the World Cup how you know, they were a breath of fresh air the way they try and play the game and that they can they can compete at the top level. So I think you saw Argentina like they they struggled for years and then they came into that and they obviously came on another bit more instead of playing a good brand of rugby. Um, you saw what being involved in the rugby championship did for them. Um, so yeah, I don't know like where Japan I think deserve to be in. They do, definitely. But I just don't know which, which one would it be. It'd probably be the Southern Hemisphere one, realistically, would it? Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's it's like it is. It is a lot closer than say traveling to yeah. uh, travel. Or like it's a lot. It's a lot closer for an like an Irish team, for example, to travel to Japan than it would be to travel to to New Zealand yeah. or something like that. Like it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility. I don't think. Um, mm. Based on their track record in the previous World Cup cycle against Tier One nations, they probably wouldn't have merited it. Um, I think they only had one victory over a Tier 1 team between the two World Cups, but obviously they took massive scalps against Scotland and Ireland, so um, they're, they're full value to be involved in some regular competitive competition mm. there, particularly given how popular it is in the aftermath of the World Cup. I think I was saying to you just before we started recording that um, one game at the weekend, which finished, I think, 59-0 or something like that, or 57-0, there were 23,000 people there to watch it. So yeah, yeah. there's obviously an appetite there. And, I mean, speaking from CVC's point of view, if they're talking about emerging markets um, in, in kind of affluent economies, I mean, that would be quite obvious, quite an obvious one for... Especially after the World Cup being such a hit there, and obviously they did so well that public are have a high interest in it now as well so it definitely would make sense uh, absolutely the, there must be a huge appetite for, uh, for for rugby there going forward and the money is there already they're attracting a lot of high quality players already so it's almost um, a ready made model for them but yeah I think the cons the cons of this kind of development outweigh the pros um, uh, it just seems to be part of an overall move towards profiteering in sport rather than and I, I don't want to sound like too much of a purist like obviously sport needs private investment and it needs to be profitable for the people that are investing but I think if you do something as drastic as this then in, entire sections of leagues are going to be wiped out and you want to quote then too and say rugby's rotten to the core <laughs> <laughs> but he actually yeah, he actually didn't elaborate on, on what yeah, what it was because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Larry Larry or uh our fantastic producer who who's the magician behind the scenes he said it to me earlier and i was kind of waiting for i was waiting for the punchline more yeah. or less and there was nothing it was just like ah, it's rotten to the core it's not like it used I to be i made a great living <laughs> off it but yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, i played it down under age he's, he's, he's a nice life Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I've met him before and, uh, yeah, a great player as well, had a great Sounds career. Like a nasty injury, to be fair. Yeah, it does. Uh, any, anything around, it was a hand, wasn't it? It's the nerve in his arm, yeah, basically. Yeah. He can't move his fingers into it, I don't think. So, yeah, rotten to the core, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I would probably have to ask him what he meant by it, <laughs> to be honest, before making an opinion. Hard hitting, sometimes brutal. Brilliant at the breakdown. And never afraid to tackle the big names. Read Ronan O'Gara, Simon Lewis and me, Donald Lenehan, in the Irish Examiner for the best insights and analysis on all the key matches throughout the Six Nations Championship. The 2020 Six Nations in the Irish Examiner. We've got every position covered. But moving on from that, uh, obviously 
predominantly negative weekend for the Irish teams over the uh, the last few days. Yeah. The women shipping a heavy defeat. Uh, the 20s getting an excellent win, but uh, the men, I suppose, the standout, a uh, very disappointing result for them. Uh, the two tries, I suppose, we go into, I mean, everything's going to be analysed to death anyway, but just something that you might be able to shed a bit of light on. Can you explain what's going on in the backfield, the way that England are able to attack the space as well as they have? Because yeah. it was almost a carbon copy of the way they approached the game 12 months ago when they really took Ireland apart with yeah. the really offensive tactical kicking game. So can you shed a bit of light on why that space is there and if well, it should be there? Obviously, Andy Farrell worked with England and Saracens for, for a number of years. So obviously, those lads would know his defensive system in and out and where those gaps and maybe opportunities would arise. So... The way defence is kind of going at the moment is either 13-2, so 13 in the front line, 2 in the back line, or nearly 14-1 as you get closer to your line. So my understanding is that, that from an Irish point of view, the 15 would be in behind the ball, so he'll be basically in behind the rock, however deep it is, uh, however deep he is off the line. And then the wingers are up flat, but they're reading body language, so as soon as the 10 shapes the kick, they're dropping to catch that on the full without letting it bounce. Um I only looked at this kind of just there before we came in and it looks like Larmer maybe got a bit further over than he he wasn't centrally positioned he was maybe gone a bit further past the rock and then obviously they were going from right to left and Ben Young's bounced back to the right so maybe the winger wasn't expecting him to put that grubber in there like that so maybe he didn't read the body language um, maybe he was a bit slow to react and that gave I suppose Sexton did react but obviously the, the hop of the ball kind of cut him off um, It's one of those things I remember uh, the it was actually the week before the game against Racing when or the game that wasn't when Axel passed away. We lost to Leinster the week before. And remember Tyler, Tyler fumbled the ball over the line mm-hmm. and, and they scored a try off it. And I remember Razzie saying in, in the review, just saying, like, you just have to laugh at these things. I mean, yeah, yeah. like it's not it's not even it's not even a lapse in concentration. It's just one of those things that will yeah. happen from time to time. So um I, I yeah, I mean you the can't really read too far into it. They seem to have it covered more or less, just the bounce of the ball instead of the edge. That's the one thing that people can underestimate or underrated Rob Kearney for his backfield cover was always ridiculous. I remember we were going playing Leinster a few times, we tried these set up plays where we'd do a kick and where the space would be like, but he every time read it every time, always caught it on the full, never let it hop or anything. Um and like I think obviously he played for Ireland for what 10 years so obviously he developed that understanding of the game over those years and obviously Larmer's relatively new to international rugby in the larger scheme of things and uh, maybe as I said just was caught that yard or two out of position um, just from as I say he's played a lot on the wing as well so maybe he's not mm-hmm. that not 100% sure of it but you know still kind of learning the game and uh, it was brilliantly executed though wasn't it yeah it was, it was. A pre, that was pre-call obviously you could tell by, by I, the I don't know the was that a, a the... set play pre-call but Definitely, they obviously had it in their minds of thinking that as a quick change of direction and putting that ball in behind maybe yeah. might catch them out. It looked like it just the way that they were they were steaming onto yeah. it and were ready to go at it. It looked yeah. like it had been pre-called. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you have to take your hat off to that kind of thing, yeah. really. The second one, probably, like the second one, I, I reckon Stockdale catches yeah, that he if he accelerates. It, yeah. uh, he obviously gets caught in two minds. Um, but that's one that... Okay, the kick went in behind. It's easy to probably to probably look at the two through the same lens, but I yeah. think on an ordinary day, Stockdale or whoever's chasing it catches that in the full, and it's a twenty-two dropout. Yeah, exactly. I think it was just not too casual, but just maybe kind of leaving it to chance as opposed to just I don't know why he didn't just take it and get blown out over the dead ball line. Was still a twenty-two dropout. So um, 
Amy yeah. were excellent though. Um, <laughs> one of the WhatsApp groups I'm in, <clears throat> someone put in the England team during the week, and people were like, "What do you think of this?" And I said, "Oh, it's not a bad selection for Ireland." No. Um, they're kind of having issues with picking players out of position. So I say, Courtney Laws isn't really a six. Yeah. Uh, Tom Curry isn't really an eight. And Jonathan Joseph isn't a winger. Of course, Courtney Laws got man of the match. Jonathan Joseph <laughs> could have been man of the match yeah. <laughs> if Laws hadn't played so well. Yeah, yeah. He didn't put a foot wrong all day. It was just, it was, it was just brilliant. And uh, Tom Curry, obviously, very solid at eight. So uh, I, uh, I, read, I read that wrong. Yeah. The thing with those, a few of those English lads in that pack, so obviously the Saracens lads, we would have played over the last couple of years. But the amount of pressure they actually put on... Uh, your defensive breakdown as you're trying to exit it's, it's ridiculous like George Cruz and Atoja are two of the hardest people to play against in, in terms of trying to exit from a box kick they literally make it an absolute shit fight so they're pulling lads in trying to get the ball to, for the ball to be out they're pulling dragging like they be on the ground they're still trying to pull lads out their motto is or their mentality is that if I'm affecting this I'm going to try and take two or three lads down with me and just make it an absolute shit fight for nine and then even after that then they're so putting so much pressure on the actual kick as well trying to charge it down like did I told you to get one or two the last day I think he charged he did, up yeah. definitely one but uh, oh, he's like, a constant nuisance every, but he, yeah like every game he plays if you notice he, he gets like a hand to a couple of kicks he charges one down flush flush most of the time as well and George Cruz is very good at it I remember the, the couple of times they played against Saracens it was they're screaming at you as well is that ball out ref is that out he's going to kick he's going to kick left foot left foot whatever but it's just it's like a complete pressure game and they're just waiting for that one time for you to crack. Obviously, Murray's kicks were affected a few times. I put England uh, straight on the front foot again and just kept the pressure on Ireland and I think finally, you know, the pressure told and they managed to get those those chinks. Uh, I remember JJ explaining it to me that they, so it, all, it comes directly from Saracens, that kind mm-hmm. of role and I think Saracens have three guys assigned in their pack. I think it's a Toje, Cruz and Vincent Cock whose yeah. job is to just go around and make shit of breakdowns all day. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, they, like they literally just go around and they have a license to attack because they're so confident in the people around them yeah. to to not need fourteen people or thirteen yeah. people in the front line. They just go around and cause havoc at rocks, and uh, it, it's it's in, like it's one of those things. I remember Paul, like Paulie, is often quoted as saying, "Like be the best at the things that require no talent," mm-hmm. and like that doesn't require yeah, any talent yeah. at all. Uh, but the beauty of that is that they're like. Yeah, they're doing their best to affect it and get a charge home. But if the people think, oh, they didn't actually get the charge home, but they affect the kick so much that, like, you're trying to clear it straight at the touch, it doesn't go out on the full, they're just running straight back at you again and the pressure is on again. So it's like, literally, they're, if they get a charge down, all well and good, but if they affect the kick and make you kick it too long, not kick it out in the full, too short, you know, that's they're just ridiculous at it. It's those things that aren't really appreciated by anyone outside of the playing no, group, that's isn't it. it? People just think Murray had a bad kick or whatever, but the amount of pressure he's under there is, is ridiculous. And yeah, just on that, uh, like I told you, is obviously part of his remit is to make life miserable for players. But, nuisance, uh. Yeah, CJ got caught, caught up in a couple of incidents and um, like being held kind of in around the, the, the rock. I know his jersey got ripped off him at one stage, but... There's very little. There's very little protection for players that are caught in that position. Like if you're holding someone in, you're yeah. you're breaking the law there. Particularly, like I mean, I told you, I was holding the two of them in for about 15, 20 yeah, seconds yeah. afterwards. But you're not entitled to lash out and actually defend yourself. So it's a very difficult position to find yourself in, and it's completely biased in favor of the person who's yeah. breaking the law initially. So like I remember, like I remember seeing Keen Healy 
holding uh, Matualu in playing against Glasgow a few years ago and now Matualu hit him an open hand in the face which you can't do but like it was a penalty in the yellow card or a red card maybe from Matualu and just no sanction for Healy even though yeah. he was the one that but started the whole thing if you're going to hit make sure it's an open hand an open hand but like a push not in the really. yeah. yeah. but like to be, I thought CJ dealt with it fairly well like he was trying to draw the rest attention to it Farrell wasn't letting go of him he didn't hit him in the face he was hitting him in the chest in the ribs or whatever and yeah. I thought the TMO it was fair you could hear him saying oh, there's nothing in it he's hitting him with an open hand Farrell's totally in the wrong or whatever so uh, to be fair to CJ I thought he, he like that could have been an easy and instant where you, you lose your Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's what Even the way he was trying to, to flick him off his leg was quite uh, quite funny as well, to be fair. I thought he, I thought he dealt with it quite well. But it's just, it was funny seeing how... How, how Farrell was uh, how incensed he, by yeah, the fact that he didn't like, get a penalty. You can't, you can't punch me. You can't punch <laughs> me. Like, well, you're, you're holding him in and you're refusing to let him go. Yeah. Remember the old trick, my old trick when you probably used to get away with it, I think most people's tricks was like, Lift, lift the leg that's been held. And like, make it look like you're trying to pull it away, but actually be trying to try to get it down yeah. as hard as you can on top of him or on his Drop, hands. Dropping the knee in his face. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's like, what else can you do to free yourself? That's why. Like on another day, on another day, or say if CJ, if CJ had hit him a bit harder or with more of a closed fist, that would have been penalty potentially yeah. card for CJ. Even though, what's he supposed to do there? Yeah. So. It's uh, it's an area that needs clarification because the refs just ignore it uh, when they see it, yeah. even if it's blatantly obvious. And They've gotten a bit better. It used to be ridiculous. Remember, Leinster's always do the long rocking for their power plays that they were setting up, where the guy would go beyond the rock and take out a few lads and hold them. They're yeah. getting a bit better at that, but I know I know what you mean. They're still uh, fellas on the ground getting away with holding on to lads. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like 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 I was saying. Like it's very um, it's kind of a no win situation for the player that's been yeah. being restrained. Which uh, Farrell's reaction was quite funny. Well, I told you his motto there when he had the two lads is that he was out of the game. So his remit there was to take out as many Irish lads as he could to keep them out of the game. So he actually had three of them. Toner managed to snake out of it before the scuffle started. So he had Pete and uh, CJ and Toner managed to get his way out of it. But like, that's just typical of him. He's, he was going hell for leather at that breakdown trying to affect the, uh, the exit. Then he was out of the game, so he's like, I'm just going to take, try and keep as many Irish players out of the next phase of play as possible. So. Well, it's really, it's best practice, really, from his point of view, uh, from a forward's point of view. I mean, it's good coaching. Axel used to be a big fan of it. He said, if you're, if you're, going, to, if you're going to be out of the game, take someone with you, <laughs> particularly around malls. That's, that's where it comes from predominantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And our, uh, our forward's coach in France is a big proponent of that. It's just be a nuisance. The um, other one is when you're, you know, the 2 one one with the fullback, and he brought, brings in the fullback and he passes it. That fullback should always take out that fella no matter what if he's passed it, just so he doesn't get a support line for a, a ball back inside. Yeah, George's there. So if you if he's drawing you into the tackle, make sure he put, he goes on the ground as well that he's not getting staying alive for an inside pass or whatever. So that was always another one we were told to do. Yeah, let's take the man out. Yeah, yeah make yeah. sure make sure you hit him because otherwise he's just going to get in support. And if some fella does manage to scurry across, he's there for the offload or whatever. It was actually it was funny seeing how uh, seeing how Henshaw blatantly took. Uh, <laughs> was it Johnny May out uh, when he kicked oh, up the yeah, wing there yeah. it's like an, an NFL <laughs> like yeah. no shoulders no arms but he got away with it anyway he probably had to do it to save a try but anyway moving on from that um, to talk about the scrums Ireland have been struggling a bit more at scrum time than they're probably used to in the yeah. last few years and I think it shouldn't be underestimated the last that Rory Best is at scrum time he was a ridiculously destructive scrummager yeah he had a big reputation as a big scrummager I think it's kind of one of those things that people always go oh he's good at the scrum kind of don't really give it the uh, time it deserves but it just kind of shows I suppose since he has left that 
what was really solid for the last couple of years. Exactly. Becoming a bit of a a focal point for for people talking after matches. So it's it's interesting to see how that will develop. That's right. Herring is a, is much taller than kind of your average mm-hmm. hooker. He's a lot taller than me anyway. <laughs> You're not your average <laughs> it wouldn't be too difficult. But uh, yeah, I think it's something that they might have overlooked. And again, I know we, we spoke about being surprised that Noel Scannell wasn't included yeah. in at least the greater squad initially because mm-hmm. of his set piece. But um, I think that that's something that they might have to look at. Uh, I mean, with, with Scan, you're always going to get excellent lineouts and you're always going to get strong and destructive scrummaging. So um, I think it's something that they might have to relook now after this break. Uh, Ellis Genge caused a lot of damage in particular when he came on, but yeah. um, Porter was struggling with him. Porter got caught high a couple of times, but for me, Ellis Genge is scrummaging very illegally quite frequently. I mean, he? He's like, <clears throat> it's kind of hard to articulate without being able to show people, but if like... BJ Bote was great for having a short bind and he'd get away with it most of the time. What I mean by having a short bind is best practice and what the refs are told to look for is make sure that people have their arms more or less fully extended mm-hmm. where possible. And what BJ used to do was he'd kind of bind, he'd bind just on the back of someone's shoulder and, he, and he'd pull his arm towards himself. So he was kind of using his arm almost as another, yeah. another point of contact to push off. And you get away with it far less now than you would have previously, but that's what Ellis Genge was doing. I know he he walked him backwards over on the the right hand side in his first scrum of the day, and he got blown for it the second time. Um, but I, I I think the refs need to be on top of that a bit more. There's very little, little that Porter can do in that situation yeah. if he's following the rules and Genge is slipping his bind and essentially using his arm to push across uh, into Porter's ribs. You kind of have to rely on your ref to protect you there, and um, that didn't really happen at the weekend. Yeah, we, as I said, we were discussing earlier the the stats around Porter's caps for Leinster, and he actually has quite a low percentage of them as a starting uh, tight end in especially well all the matches, but especially in the big European matches. Yeah, I was uh, surprised at this. I didn't realize this at all. Yeah, I think he's actually started like nearly the most games already this year uh, over all the other years. Obviously, Tyke Furlan's come back from the World Cup has gotten a good break. Um, so I just think it's interesting to see that he's, I think in the last three seasons so far, he's, start, he's only started like 17 games. Yeah, um, which is very for low. For a with 60-odd caps, it's kind of, it's a bit strange you know, to, be, to say if you're not playing in those. I know he comes on, as you said, for 25, 30 minutes in most European games, but to say that he's kind of coming into these big international games that haven't started many of the big European matches, you know, where you learn your trade, especially as a young fella, it's, you know, I think, Obviously, they're not going to drop Tyg Furlong for him as well, but mm. maybe, you know, maybe he needs to be pushing kind of for those starts as opposed to getting just 20, 25 minutes in those big games. It might stand to him. Yeah, I think definitely. Well, a team like Leinster, who have the luxury of doing that, I mean, in, in their pool in Europe, even yeah. there were a few enough games that they were actually in danger of losing. I mean, they put cricket scores on yeah. people routinely, and they have they did that last year as well. So I would like to see him getting, uh, getting 60 minutes rather than 20 yeah, or 30 yeah. from time to time. And even with Ireland as well, I'd like to see him get a start against Italy yeah, just to Italy, yeah. just to freshen things up a little bit. He's an excellent player, um, quite a cool fella as well. Like, he's like just the tattoos and stuff like that. You got you don't really see that uh, in Irish rugby. You really haven't yeah. traditionally anyway. He's kind of the first of that breed. I know he was in Black Rock with Conor Oliver and Jerry Lockman, and they're all kind of cut from a similar enough co- uh, enough cloth. I hope uh, for his sake he isn't. <laughs> But, uh, you know, he's only 23 years old, I think, and he will be an excellent 
player and a very important part of Ireland's uh, plans going forward. So I don't think it's any harm that they're managing them. Yeah. I think Leinster traditionally managed people in that position really well. I remember playing against Tyg, uh for when he was playing for Clontarf, when I was playing for Shannon. And even though he was in, like he was playing Irish 20s, he was in the Leinster Academy. But for that first couple of years out of school, he was only allowed to play 20 minutes for Clontarf, usually yeah. at the end of games. And I actually remember having conversations with JJ, who was the same age as him, and saying, like, why aren't they letting this guy play? He needs to play. And he said, no, they're just really minding him. And I remember thinking it was a stupid idea at the time, yeah. but obviously it, it it seems to have paid off. And there there's method to the madness. I know we'd be given out at the same time that yeah, guys yeah. in academies aren't playing enough with their clubs, but I think in certain positions, potentially, there's a um, there's method to minding guys. for one of the other provinces is starting week in, week out, and in those European games and going well in the big European matches, that maybe they deserve a chance to be in the, like the 23 and off there say I know Finley Beelham say for example he's playing McConaughey tight head and the scrum is going well all season um, and he's starting and proved himself in those big games do you think he deserves a, a shot to be in the squad or oh, definitely. You, you look at John Ryan and Archer they've played kind of I suppose Archer's probably played most of the European games this year um, and he's done quite well you know the scrum has been been pretty good for Munster especially against Saracens and Racing like two two big scrummaging teams. Um, I know there's more to it than scrummaging, but just from that point of view. Well, absolutely. I always think uh, where possible, or if it's reasonable, that a guy who's starting each week, particularly if a province is doing relatively well, um, like even when I know about them to get out of the group stages now and stuff in Europe. But yeah, but even if you take last year for example, like there was never any there was never any question that. Like John was going to be the nail on second choice, mm. um, or or even this year when Archer was playing very well yeah. and playing more or less every week, that Archer was was going to break into the squad and kind of thrust one of those people aside. So um, I would all like I would always prefer to see the monster guy getting a nod. Ah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, I'm not saying they should. I'm just. Saying oh no, I know. Generally speaking, yeah. Um, I, I, I do think I do think with a team like Leinster who are as good as they are there's there's a bit more leeway there but um, mm. I would usually disagree with the idea of picking second choices at, at one club if there isn't a massive gap in standard yeah, between yeah. Uh, between them and the others um, so I think a lot of lads in Munster and Ulster in particular have been unlucky to miss out on that basis in recent years but um, I think that it might be a bit different now under Andy Farrell. I know, like, it was no secret that Joe Schmidt um, uh, had a much higher opinion of Leinster guys for the most yeah, part yeah. than they did of than he did of um, of guys in the other provinces. Yeah. So well, I think um, when the pressure came on, in particular, he'd always revert back to the fellas who performed from from his time in Leinster and the opportunities they got in Ireland, which is understandable to an extent as well. But if at some point it comes where you got to just say history is history, you know, need to give a few lads a shot. So. Yeah, and no, hopefully, absolutely. No, hopefully in this next coming weeks now there'll be a few more lads that get a get a go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, England seeming to be a bit of a kryptonite team for Ireland at the moment. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be anything that they can do. Did you have any kryptonites uh, when you were playing, either individuals or most teams? People, most people probably just say rugby, but uh, <laughs> I used there was a few away trips that always uh, Cardiff away. I think probably played there seven or eight times. I probably had one decent game. <laughs> Teresa <laughs> um, away was always a, a, a graveyard bogey, yeah it was a, a real bogey one wasn't as it as I said last week it cost many a man a contract <laughs> um, Scarlet's was always a, a tough one yeah I I, uh, I reckon Scarlet's for me as well Scarlet's away yeah I mean yeah, yeah just an inc- a very the difficult place to go everything it's just you always get two Welsh touches <laughs> 
you know, you usually get Dudley Phillips, which we've discussed at length before. Um, so yeah, Cardiff as well is always a, it's a hard place to go. It, it's a fast pitch, you know, the 4G, those two lads in the centre, Lilo and Hanaholo, as yeah. we discussed before. Um, when they get a bit of a bit of go forward and a bit of momentum, they're they're frightening. For me, if it was more individuals, and actually to go back to my AIL days, anyone that kind of played AIL around a certain time period would remember Leo Leo Ava. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. The old big, rubber legs. Yeah, uh, the big massive yeah. Sa- Samoan. Uh, you'd hit him, it's like his legs would go limp, and he'd <laughs> wriggle out of the tackle. You're just like, what the hell? So he was a fixture in Belvedere. He was there for quite a few years, yeah. wasn't he? He was kind of part he of the play, furniture. He up there. a contract for a while. He did. Yeah, did he but go to Treviso then. Uh, zebra, I think he or sorry, Eroni was it as it was oh, at the time? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. it was the crowd before Zebra. Yeah, but he, he definitely played in Italy, and I think he played in Newcastle for a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, just your your stereotypical enormous Polynesian back row, uh, hundred and twenty five, hundred and thirty kilos. He destroyed us in the AL final that year. Uh, Con played Belvedere. We had an unbelievable team. We had like numerous myself and Peter and Manny were on the bench. DC was playing 10 with Dennis Fogarty playing Billy Holland Archer uh, Ivan Deneen um, they, I think they had like Danny Reardon Simon Kyo Leo Ova uh, Chris Keane I think was on the bench with him and <laughs> he tore us asunder like literally we could not contain him and they, that, what was that big tight head as well that went to Connacht in the end uh, oh Stuart Maguire yeah mm. he was there as well he was like making outside breaks and everything he was like <laughs> Jesus what a day <laughs> but there is uh, every time I played against Leo he would inevitably put me on my ass at least once yeah, during yeah. that game. <laughs> I remember there was one game in particular. I think there was an international game on. Uh, so they put back the kickoff to like 5.30 maybe on a Saturday. So it was on in Belvedere. And I remember like it was kind of getting dewy because it was in winter, you know. And uh, I remember him catching a kick, of course, and, and me being first in the line to tackle him. I remember him just putting a knee, a knee on me and me... I'd say I skidded for three metres along <laughs> on my ass on the wet ground. And uh, there's a lot of young fellas that have been on the piss for the day in the Belvedere crowd. Said, yeah. <laughs> Similar thing happened to me in, the, in that AL final. So I came on about five minutes into the second half and they kicked off. We caught it. And I said to Jerry Hurley, go on, box kick there and I'll chase it. Because I know I was I defending 10 or whatever way it worked out anyway. Uh, so he box kicked and I said, he was under it. Leo, like, and I was like, right, I'm going to go from here, like. So I threw myself at him thinking I was going to bury him. He literally just breezed me off. Like, like it was a gust of wind just knocked me over. And then uh, literally about two passes later, they scored in the corner. I was like, oh, what an introduction. So, I'd love to know where he's playing now. Like, I mean, I don't think he was that old. I'm sure he's still playing somewhere at some yeah. level. Um, but uh, yeah, one, one, of those, one of those kind of standout names uh, for me. Um, did you have a look at the France game? I did. I did, yeah. Too oh, impressive once again. Yeah, delighted. Was, um, I actually saw a very interesting thing a few days ago about Boutier, the the, the full back. He actually hasn't had a traditional route to yeah, international rugby at all. Like Division two or something there. Yeah, so he played with his local amateur club until he was eighteen, and then um, he he was with Dax for a little while, but he was with Van and went between third division and second division with them for five years. And he only signed for Montpellier last year. That was his first year. Or sorry, as in last summer. This season is his first year in uh, top fourteen and. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna make another step up and is playing yeah. with the French national team good. now. He was even better again at last weekend than that. He was. He seems to be growing into it. And he's France much more dangerous in attack this week. I thought yeah, he was. I thought he ran a few nice lines and had a few good involvements there. Did he was he involved in that Teddy Tomat try that was pulled back? Uh, did he give the offload to Vakato? Was it? I can't remember. I think he did. Yeah, head, man. There, yeah, but he he looked quite dangerous in attack, which 
I think was an improvement, well, not an improvement, but he hadn't looked so dangerous in attack the previous two weeks, so it was, it was good to see. Yeah, he um, he kind of is one of many stories like that in France where you actually see a lot of those. I suppose they're kind of like Jamie Vardy stories where guys mm. start at the bottom division and kind of climb their way up like we'd never hear about it really in rugby here. Mm. Um, but it happens quite a bit in France. So in my own case, for example, there was two guys, when we got promoted, there were two guys signed uh, for the year we were going into top 14. One of them had been at Chambry, who were a third division club for 10 years. And then he was actually at Van as well for two years and he was playing top 14 the following year. Yeah. Um, and a, another back row, he was a back row as well, but another back row who's club captain this year, he played with Massey. He actually played with John Madigan and Massey. Oh, yeah. they, they won um, they won the third division and he played a year at second division and it literally went third division, second division, uh, top 14, one year after another. And an excellent player as well. Very comfortable at top 14. He caused lineouts yeah. and um, just a really good, solid guy. And... Uh, I really love seeing stories like that and yeah. I mean the two of them going over the second division now at the moment but both of them have signed on again for yeah. another two years so uh, it's great to see avenues like that you don't really see hear about it happening a, ho- a whole pile in England either but um, you do the odd yeah. time but um, again it just kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier the level of opportunity that other guys have in other countries the French have got a good nucleus there now between Aldred, Dupont, Fiku um He's an excellent player as well, but they're all very young. Like yeah. I mean, well, either young like, or inexperienced. They come in for um, what was the captain's name last year again? The hooker. Oh, Guillermo Garado. Yeah, Garado. I nearly said Giroud, but he's a soccer player. <laughs> uh, Garado, like he's come in. There was some big boots to fill there, and I think he's had a great game or had a great tournament so far. Especially Camille Shaw probably was the number one mm. going into it. But I think did he get injured before the first round or at yeah. some point? That'll be a good tit for tat, I think, going yeah. forward. They're both very young and what uh, both excellent players. Imagine playing 50 players. minutes with Marshawn then seeing Cammy Shackle. <laughs> he must be <laughs> dreading it. Uh, but they, from a Welsh point of view, I think they're they're struggling a bit there. But I think Liam Williams is a big miss. Jonathan Davies also. Um, you know, obviously, France kicked a lot of long ball and Halfpenny probably isn't as good at counter-attacking as, as Liam Williams would be. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of that is hindering him a small bit. Um, I'd say Jonathan Davies I, I think Tompkins has been struggling a bit in the centre yeah he's still yeah, relatively new to he international is, rugby so he is but he's um, yeah like you, you'd like you'd, you'd never dismiss a guy after three games but um, yeah. he's got oh, a, 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 yeah. no, no, yeah, but he, he has had a slow start so oh, but he's, he's played excellently his form has been excellent um, yeah. uh, for the last few years so hopefully he can there's can actually, rectify that they're actually missing a good few lads Wales has only kind of dawned to me there it was like in the back row Navidi Ellis Jenkins Aaron Shingler the three of those lads mm. who had I suppose big impacts when they were, they were playing over the last couple of years um, particularly Navidi who was uh, him and Ellis Jenkins yeah, really used to destroy into. us every time over in Cardiff as well yeah. <laughs> they used to play like Nick Williams and the two lads so basically two sevens playing and Nick Williams they would have a feel like getting turnovers against us I mean, he's a pro surfer, you know, is and he? as well, yeah. Like I'm sure he doesn't compete a whole bit, but he is, oh, yeah. he is like a, a certificate or a qualification to to compete professionally in surfing. Yeah, she's that's interesting. Um, I always assumed there was something kind of different about him because he had yeah. the dreads, obviously. But yeah. uh, that's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Being a pro surfer while playing pro yeah. rugby as well. Uh, moving on from international stuff, Munster had a pretty good pedestrian win over the weekend, twenty-eight nil. Um, I don't know. Did you see the red card that Zebra uh, got? I mean. Basically, he got it for leading with the forearm into the neck. Sorry, um, I did while see carrying it the ball. I thought it was very harsh. It. Yeah, 
Uh, oh, it was very harsh. I mean, after ten minutes, they're, they're clamping down on that now, so never getting away with it. They are, but I mean, it, like they even acknowledge when they were chatting about it that it starts in the chest and rides up to the yeah. neck. I mean, Chris Lude is five foot eight. I mean, it's um, and, and he's standing upright basically when he's tackling. That's the way yeah. he tackles. So um, I think it was unfair. I mean, I think a yellow card would have done then, and I mean, particularly in a game like that, yeah. um, it's a bit too ruthless for my liking. I but, did uh, see. Uh, Kevin O'Byrne had a sensational out the back door. He did, yeah. And it was actually it was a great front row combination there. So Jeremy Lockman, like yeah, he caught it, stepped inside, uh, stepped over the tackle, one arm offload. Then it was Ob uh, to JJ in a ridiculous kind of quadruple skip pass, especially over the top to Sweets. And Stu slammed his way in there then into the corner. (laughs) He did, yeah. But it's funny. He texted me earlier actually, giving out in the wee. Oh, for calling him Stewart. He's wondering why people are called. People are asking, "No, why is he called Stewie?" Why Stewie? Why Stewart? <laughs> uh, yeah, Jake Flannery got his first cap. A good Shannon man. So um, hopefully the first of many. I haven't seen much of him. Is he? He's, good he's an he? excellent player. Yeah, um, yeah he's very talented. Right? Yeah. He is. He's used to playing fifteen a lot as well. He kind of swap. He swapped between the two of them quite regularly for the Irish twenties. Better position. I preferred. Um, I I like I I'd like to see him play ten. He's really great at attacking the line. He's very creative. Um, I didn't see he wasn't involved in training last year because obviously he was injured. I think after the twenties, so um, he wasn't training much with us. So I didn't see much of him. No, but I've heard good things about him. Look forward to to seeing him. Be a big uh, issue for Munster now trying to keep those three lads happy going forward. Yeah. Ben Healy himself and Jack Crowley. Um, a great problem to have, but it's going to be it's going to take a lot of um, clever management. Is, is there as well? He's maybe not an out and out ten, but he's kind of a fellow who could play everywhere. Maybe has maybe hindered his progression. The fact that he seems to be able to play 10, 12, 15. Yeah, um, he's a great player as well. Got great skills, and I mean, he used to be training us like, and he he'd never look out of place. If anything, he always looked like he was adding to the to the to the training session. So. It, you know, it's kind of a hard time for him as well, I'd say, not getting much of a look in there. An abundance of riches uh, in, yeah. in a certain position, which is a great problem to have. Uh, I actually was reminded when, when I kind of was making my notes for, for today, and I noted that uh, Jake, it was Jake Flannery's first cap, uh, that uh, we forgot to say to Sherry that um, about his cap coming on for the States, kind of in the belief that he was going to start the game the following week, oh, yeah. and that he wasn't involved in the <laughs> squad. It was, it was so shitty, but uh, I, I, kind of similar enough thing happened to me. I, I got brought in just after I'd moved down to Limerick from Dublin. I got brought in because they were having a nightmare at Hooker uh, at Irish 20, so I got brought in for the game against England. And I actually threw so badly that week that... Uh, I got I came on as prop uh, <laughs> for the last like 15 minutes so Alan Clark was the coach who um, recently paired a company uh, with Ospreys but uh, I remember very, very supportive of you I'd imagine. I remember him radioing down to um, whoever it was I think it was Phil Morrow was our SNC and uh, radioing down going do you want to come on at Lucid or, or a hooker and I was like oh Jesus like just <laughs> you, you, that's not my decision to make <laughs> like you know so he was like okay, they're going to put you on loose out. I was like, okay, fine. So anyway, I went on, had my 12 or 15 minutes. We had an excellent win, actually. Not too not too dissimilar to the one the lads had on Friday. And a uh, big celebration afterwards and was dropped out of the squad the following week. And I remember subsequently, remember Steve Abood from yeah. the RFU? He's kind of a um, guy that's had, had various positions in the RFU over the years, kind of a stalwart of the place. But uh, he used to come down and do workshops when we were in the academy the odd time. And um, there was one about... I think it was about like goal setting or objectives. No, it wasn't that. It was it was different to that. And um, I remember I remember him saying he started off the the talks with twenty five people in the room, and uh, he said, "What's what's 
the only thing that's worse than getting no caps for Ireland. And I knew straight away what he was going to say, but and I didn't want to say it. So <laughs> it was like people were going like suggesting X, Y, and Z, and I, I, I was like, I'm fairly like he's definitely going to say what I think he's going to say. <laughs> and eventually, at the end, the only thing worse than getting no caps for Ireland is getting one cap for Ireland <laughs> because it means they thought you were good enough, but you weren't. <laughs> oh, did you not remember that for sure? <laughs> because in either game, life or rugby, the margin for error is so small. I mean one half step too late or too early and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow or too fast and you don't quite catch it. On the line now we have John Andrews, former colleague of ours and owner and operator of Rugby Management uh, Rugby Agency. John, thanks for joining us. I know the baller. Oh John, I think it's fair to say you're probably not a household name in Irish rugby. Uh, or correct me if I'm not if I'm being a bit harsh there, but you had a fantastic playing career. Uh, two stints at Exeter, at Harlequins, at Worcester, and ultimately at Edinburgh before you came down to Munster. And then you decided to call it quits at the end of that season in 2017, regardless. Um, but ultimately, uh, which is the main reason we wanted to chat to you, is that you decided to go to the dark side, as we said <laughs> in our intro. <laughs> and uh, you decided to, like, you, you decided to set up a sports agency. Can you tell us how you came to that decision? Um, suppose when I when I was coming to the end, I was thinking of, of things. You know, how could I stay involved in rugby? In a way, um, to be honest, the coaching route. I mean, it's just it's so competitive, and it's such a political minefield, and there's no stability in it. That uh, it was just too risky with the wife and kids, and I've always felt that you know I, I like the side of watching people develop or, or helping them on their their um, journey. And playing agency was something I was really keen on. And, and I also felt, to be honest with you, Duncan, there was a lot that could be done for players that wasn't being done from yeah. an agent's perspective. And uh, when we set it up, I set it up with my cousin, Roger Wilson, who had uh, played years for Ulster and Northampton. And we both were on the similar line of thinking that we were going to be totally through player and looking after the player. And, and we felt that agents, a lot of them to that point, had been through club. Uh, and what I, what I mean when I say that is you had certain agencies with 30-odd players at one club and uh, it was just impossible to have the players' benefits at heart. Yeah. Um, and we felt that if we could have enough contacts at a lot of clubs, we wouldn't need to have players in the same positions at the same clubs, and we wouldn't be reliant on a massive sort of payday off that club either, meaning we couldn't afford to argue or fall out with them. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. It makes sense. It's like, a good, a good outlook to have, isn't it? Yeah, like I mean, it's um, it, it is a complete minefield for players. I think particularly younger players when they're starting out, because, like, say, by the time I signed my first professional contract, it was two thousand and thirteen, and rugby had been professional for quite a while at that point. But I like nobody was able to kind of pull me aside and say, "Look, you need to watch out for X, Y, and Z," or be mindful of this or that and I mean particularly in Ireland because there are only four teams but there are very few agents uh, in the Irish market so it means that 
I suppose your 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 uh, your choice is limited, and then the level of competition is kind of limited between them as well. Um, so it is kind of a minefield, and and it is a bit of a grey area. So how have you found moving into that area of of kind of being the guy that looks after players as opposed to being the guy who's who's on the phone to the agent and kind of chasing clubs? I mean, well, first of all, we deal with enough contacts around all the clubs anyway, personal relationships with directors of rugby we've maybe worked with before, guys we've played with that are now in coaching. And we build up those contacts and we go to watch youngsters and, you know, see who we think's going to make it or players that we maybe played with and think have that ability. And I think once you really back somebody, you know, it's easy to do a good job for them as well. Um, do you mean in terms of how do we set about being pro player rather than pro club? Well, yeah, I suppose uh, the reason we wanted to chat to you is that it's a very, it's a very kind of enigmatic area. Not many people know what being an agent actually entails. So as someone who's just come into it recently and is starting out really, um, can you give people an idea of kind of what your day-to-day stuff involves? I mean, we are, uh, we're looking to do it slightly differently. So I've had uh, two shareholders in the company, a guy, Craig Holmes, who's with a company, H&H Group in Belfast. Um, he's in commercial finance and different things. And then another guy, Alan Hunter, he's with Midas Insurance, an insurance company. And what we're trying to do for players now is help them away from rugby, take away those stressors, um, things like you know mortgage advice, you know your car, house, career, and an insurance. You know if they want to upskill themselves in terms of doing a career after, or think them with companies about doing potential work in between, you know, off time. So we're looking to take away a lot of the stressors they have that might affect. You know their ability to focus just on rugby um because a happy player makes a better player um and then like i say we're looking to have players at a whole range of different clubs so we have the ability you know to move players and also we're not going to take on two players in the same position at the same club because you just can't represent them properly mm. Then. Mm. yeah absolutely that's a great uh yeah that, and that happens far more than people think. Yeah, yeah. Way, way too regularly. It's uh, you you, you no, sell a good you sell a good package there, John. Have you got space for an elderly <laughs> nine uh, by any chance? Well, I'd have a hard time selling them. That way, good Yeah, absolutely. And and to have someone who's previously played at a high level 
definitely makes you far more relatable and I think you have a much better understanding of what is going through a player's head at certain stages be it positive things or negative things like if everything is going very well for someone they can completely neglect stuff outside of their immediate focus which is rugby and being the best they can be on the pitch and similarly if if things are going very badly for someone uh it can be quite a dark place as you know yourself um i know like your agent Niall woods don't obviously played at like he played a high level rugby himself so he would have had that perspective too but there are a lot of people it's not kind of it's one of those things there's no clear pathway to from being a player to being an agent mm-hmm. and it's not something that many people consider um so i think it is great that mm-hmm. you and and roger as well would have both had a huge amount of experience of professional rugby um, yeah, Nile was in a good position because he was obviously in charge of rugby players or Europe at the time, which is now rugby players Ireland. So he was in charge of running that from a legal point of view. So that's how he he kind of identified that there obviously was getting bigger and the demand for agents was all right, sure. getting greater. So he, he kind of saw an opening there, and that's how he kind of got into it. John, uh, moving on from kind of the the ins and outs of agency and. Talking about Irish players specifically, we've chatted a few times already about how it's actually it's very difficult to penetrate certain markets as an Irish player because you only have four teams here. And fair enough, if you're a guy in Leinster and you don't quite cut the mustard up there, you'd probably pick up a contract in another province. But if you're surplus to requirements in one of the other three provinces, there's very limited opportunity for you. And last week we were talking about the issue of funding to the championship being cut and how that's going to affect a huge amount of players and how that might close off uh, a pathway for Irish players that would have been well trodden at one point. So how do you see how do you see the opportunities for Irish players at the moment? I know the US League has opened up doors to certain people, but it is quite difficult to be a young Irish guy and to be looking around for a club, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's, it's phenomenally difficult and. Like you say, there's there's a lot of talent uh, in Ireland, um, and unfortunately, there's limited positions. And like you know yourself, Duncan, often it's only one man's opinion that's stopping you from progressing. And a lot of guys, you know, might give up at that. Um, but it, it's silly because if there is another avenue and you have the ability, you're best taking it because there's not many success stories. Um, I do think that uh, the with the championship funding being cut, I think I think they've now decided to stall it, do it gradually over two years. But I think in the long term, it'll just be interesting to see what avenue they take. Whether Premiership squads are going to expand and have larger squads with a second tier competition, a bit like they do in South Africa, where you've got like a Curry Cup squad and a Super Rugby squad. Mm. Maybe they go down the Premiership route with a Premiership Cup. Um, but I don't know what pathway they're looking at to develop their players. Certainly for Irish players, we're, we're going to have to explore other avenues for guys that aren't going to make it on these shores. You've, you've placed a couple of guys down in New Zealand uh, recently, haven't you? Well, no, we're, we're talking to... There's a guy that's a second, young second row that's leaving our uh, Ulster that's potentially going over to Otago. Uh, yeah, it looks like he is. And obviously, Gavin Thornbury, the second row of Connacht, uh, went that route and it, you know, it, it did have no harm. So there, there's potentially other avenues with a, but like obviously, it's, it's, it's the other side of the world. So it's, um, it's, 
I think it's a great opportunity though. I know, I, I certainly from in my head, I would have always seen myself as probably not being good enough to go down to New Zealand and give things a go down there. But you see, you do see certain guys um, going down there and making a go of it. Obviously, Ali Yeager is playing regularly enough for the Crusaders now, who is from England originally, but went to Blackrock College. Uh, even a guy who came in briefly to Munster a few years back, Jamie Glynn, uh, who his brother would be famous for... Uh, spear tackling Chris Ashton in Burger King after once of playing Ireland a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Do you not know that story? Oh, yeah. uh, that's uh, that's famous in rugby circles. I think it was, it, was, that one. it was on the rugby pod. He, he rang in, he interviewed them and all. Uh, or sorry, they interviewed him and all because they, they spoke about it, about the incident. And then he rang in the following week and they, they had a full-on kind of <laughs> recounting of the tale Very there. Good. But uh, Jamie Glynn, who, who was in on trial at Munster, he, I think he, he lined out for the Melbourne Rebels a couple of times in pre-season. So um, I think people underestimate the quality uh, of training that Irish players get, even at academy level in the provinces and even at club level. So hopefully it's a path that uh, more players can avail of uh, down the line. Yeah, John, that's been a fascinating chat. Thanks very yeah. much for your time. And, very, um, in, very enlightening. And uh, glad that it sounds like you're doing the right by the players anyway. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's clearly one good skin in uh, the agency game at least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dunk, pleasure as always. Yeah, great to see you again. And uh, look forward to catching up again next week. Take care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 